0: Welcome to the special bonus episode of the Olive Podcast. In the main episode this week we shared ways you can support the Cook for Ukraine initiative and in this episode we've included some highlights from one of its founders, Olia Hercules, as she talks about the beauty and diversity of the food of our homeland. This podcast was originally recorded back in 2020. Here Olia tells us about the summer kitchens of her childhood. All
1: over Ukraine, uh, we've got these uh, special kind of out houses. It's a one one room house essentially, nothing glamorous, but it's got you know your your four walls, a roof, and a little porch. But inside is just a kitchen. Uh, they exist because Ukraine is actually uh, incredibly hot in the summer, and people didn't used to um, have air cons. But during the summer is when you would do the most cooking. Um, So they kind of build these, essentially what uh are kitchen workshops um and they're situated a little bit closer to your I, I call them vegetable plots but actually it's almost like a small holding people grow a lot of vegetables you know they've got orchards etc so this is where you apart from everyday meals you would also do all of your kind of like super intense pickling you know semi-industrial pickling operation come september where all of the vegetables all of the glut is kind of like being put into uh jars so you can have it uh, over winter so when i was little i I also had um we uh, we also had this summer kitchen and um you know there was a table an old kind of telly that nobody ever watched um obviously there was a, an oven and a uh, and a stovetop and a little ladder um as i say nothing glamorous but it it's uh, filled with kind of these beautiful memories for me um because obviously i remember them as a child so you know i i did tend to romanticize them a little bit but One of the most kind of memorable things was waking up in the morning in the summer. In Ukraine, we have really long summer holidays from the first uh, day of June till the last day of August, like three months full on. And mom would still go to work. Uh, My brother was eight years older than me. So, you know, he'd look after me kind of thing. But he was a teenager. So he would sleep until like noon, you know, as teenagers do. (laughs) And I'd wake up. And the first thing that I'd do is, uh, you know, uh, trundle to the to the summer kitchen, which is just across, like a few steps away from our main house. Uh, and on the table, my mom would have uh put a couple of bowls you know covered with a tea towel, and one bowl would, we normally, especially if it was June, uh, when it was super seasonal, you'd open the towel and there'd be little tiny little very sweet strawberries that she'd collect from our, you know, little uh, patch that we had behind the, uh, the house and uh more often than not i uh, not i will uh, admit that i would uh, devour them all <laughs> and what <Steal them. laughs> one, one day i did leave half for my brother and i and i was patting myself on the back the whole day i was like ooh i'm so generous and then the other bowl would contain uh maybe something like curd cheese uh dumplings almost like um italian gnudi but they would mm. be sweet so so they would be like Uh, Yeah, kind of, like, covered with a bit of honey or something. and uh, Or or probably, to be honest with you, sugar at that point in the 80s. Yeah. You know, but it was delicious. Like, a delicious breakfast would be left for us. And um, I think these are my first memories. And also, another one is definitely um, uh, trying the first cucumber of the season. So, as I say, we would eat all of these pickles during winter. You know, Ukraine is extremely seasonal. And it used to be even more so in the past. Um, So, in winter... Uh, You wouldn't, well, first of all, we didn't have supermarkets, but um, there was no unseasonable, unseasonal uh, veg, Uh, root vegetables, whatever was in season we ate, but also all of these kind of like ferments and um, things taken out of jars. So the first cucumber after like, after about four months of uh, not having anything fresh, you know, there were there were also these really small ones with prickles on them. And so aromatic. So when you kind of like bite into it, it, they would taste sweet and it would, you know, it would almost like make your head spin. I think that's another one that really kind of like com- comes back to me whenever I think of um, my, my childhood in Ukraine. Yeah.
0: Now Olya shares some foods unique to her homeland.
1: It is of such high quality is the unrefined sunflower oil. And it's something that we use a lot as a finishing oil, um, both on fresh salads and also on your fermented veg in winter. It just, it tastes like pressed toasted sunflower seeds. And it's incredible. It's almost in the same intensity as a sesame oil would have, you know, in that kind of like nutty and rounded and sweet Um, And it's, you know, really dark kind of amber in color is just such a beautiful oil Um, that you know what, and for ages in the 90s, after the Soviet Union broke up, everybody went off it, they were like, Oh, sunflower oil, it's so like common, you know, everybody just suddenly got into really bad quality olive oil. (laughs) So so suddenly, suddenly, uh, yeah, everyone was using olive oil. And now, Recently, in the past 10 years, people were like, wait a minute, we've got these amazing, we've got this amazing produce and we've got this amazing oil. Why did we stop using that? You know, I remember my mom just, there was just a point where she went, oh, this olive oil is actually, it can be really amazing. But what we get in Ukraine is not very good quality. Why are we not using what we've got, you know, growing in our backyard kind of thing? So, so yeah. That's one of the things that's uh, fantastic. Um, And I'm just trying to think of something else. Yes. And there's, again, uh, of course, Italians have their lardo, but um, we have a very similar um, um, cured kind of salted uh, pork fat that we do called salo. So it's mostly fat with a very small strip of meat. And um, it's you know sometimes we freeze it and just slice it and eat it like lardo with with some pickles and I don't know a shot of vodka or something <laughs> if you're doing that kind of thing or you know you you fry it and uh, and um, use it basically as a co- as a cooking fat or you also bash it together with garlic and salt and dill uh, and other herbs and then you can stir it through borscht at the very end of cooking and it gives that kind of like savoury, umami, salty, delicious um, porkiness to your borscht. It's really good.
0: Here, Olia explains how borscht can be made in so many different ways. There's so much to be said about borscht.
1: Do a whole um, podcast on it. <laughs> uh, yeah, you 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 could you could do a whole podcast on it. Uh, quite seriously, I have a very long essay in Summer Kitchens um, about it, and I've done a lot of research on it. Um, just to give a tiny bit of background to our listeners, uh, I did travel about ten thousand kilometers around Ukraine, which, considering its size, maybe is not even you know that much. But it was it was like super intense long journeys, and uh, we went to every. You know, corner of Ukraine, pretty much as much as possible, north, south, east, and west and i um, and I interviewed people um about uh kind of forgotten recipes and of course about bosch um, It is our national dish, and everyone has an idea of borscht, you know, that their mom or their grandmother used to make. And that's kind of the correct borscht that should be done. So when I was growing up, my grandma always said, you know, it has to be thick. It's, you know, it's full of vegetables. It's got beetroot, it's got uh, carrots and uh, cabbage, etc., etc. And she said that it has to be so thick that, you know, if you put a spoon in, it kind of like stands up straight. I mean, she was exaggerating a little bit I and mean, it's still a soup. Um, and she also said that it has to be pink. You know, if a red borscht that colors everything red to her, it was you know sacrilege. You you can't have potatoes that are bright red from the, that beetroot. You know, and the reason why though, and I and I always kind of adhere to that, but then I, after my research, I realized why. In the south of Ukraine, uh, if you go to a market, you'll see all of these beetroots, all types of beetroots there, and there would be. Uh, a sign, I would say, borschevi i which means uh, specifically beetroot for borsh. And it's almost like the Italian chioggia that we get here, you know, the really fancy pink one. This is what we use because that's the one that grows in the soil in the south. So all of the color that goes into, uh, in, in the borsh is from these massive tomatoes that we use as well. So it is um. kind of pink. Uh, but of course, I did all of this research and went to, uh, you know, up north and you get scarlet Borscht and you get like super deep, almost purple borscht somewhere. And also closer to Poland, it's, uh, it can be also almost like a consomme uh, without any veg. You know, you take the veg out and it's just like a really clear, beautiful crimson soup with these little dumplings. And it can be different and it's so special and very regional uh, up north in, the, in this area called Poliso. Uh this uh, woman told me that they used to make borscht using Elvis, which are baby eel. You know, it's, it's yeah, yeah, really interesting. Um, in uh, Poltava, central Ukraine, uh, they make these um, whole smoked pears, dried sm- smoked pears. So you put them into a wood-fired oven at the end of a day when the heat kind of like subsides and is very gentle. And you, you do this treatment to the same pears for about five five nights in a row. So they shrivel up and they almost look like clad in black leather. They kind of become kind of like wrinkly and um, and they smell incredible. They're smoky and uh, you know very rich in 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 aroma and taste. And what you do is you you add them to your uh, meat stock or vegetable stock, whatever borscht you're making, and then. Can you imagine? It just adds that kind yeah. of sweetness and smokiness and it's just the most incredible thing. So actually, borscht within Ukraine is incredibly uh, regional and different and very interesting. In the east, in eastern Ukraine, they add aubergine to it, you know, it's like mm, a, whole, a whole world of borscht that even I didn't know. Because as I say, you know, you're just stuck in this kind of like what grandma says cor- said is correct, this is correct. But actually, yeah, there's so much more. <laughs>
0: And finally, Olya talks about the diversity of Ukrainian cuisine.
1: There's uh, Carpathian mountains um, where, as you say, the Ukrainian highlanders live and um, some some call them Hutul people. And, um, you know, it's almost Ukraine can be almost compared to Italy in a way, because up north, like in Italy, we've got... Um, earthier flavors we've got forests and mushrooms and all of the berries that you would mm-hmm. associate also with italy and also they have of course um banos, which is a polenta dish so they use quite a lot of corn as well in the, in 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 a very similar way that they do in northern uh in northern italy mm-hmm. so yeah Hutsul's you know it's a lot of hard work uh happens there you know uh, they do a lot of shepherding and, you know, it's it's kind of like a tough environment. So they must have uh, over 10 variations of l- like things that they do with polenta. It's incredible. Uh, and the most famous one, Banosh, is in my book and um, it's delicious. Uh, they actually cook it in this mixture of um, almost like a creme fraiche, I guess. Uh, mixed with water so they boil it in there it's a very rich dish but you'd need it if you lived there you know Um, and then it's served with either uh, crispy lardons or uh, or with a little bit of this um, local cheese called vurda which is this salty kind of it's not quite like feta but it's got it's kind of similar maybe a little bit to that and it's you know it's it's fantastic food another dish that i love Um, that was cooked for me there was um, a chupena which is potato that is mashed with um, broad beans. So it's like a spring, you know, spring, early summer dish. Um, And uh, yeah, super delicious. Um, And of course, you go a little bit beyond Carpathians to this area called Transcarpathia. And you are the... um, So I'll start that again. So when you get to Transcarpathia... The village that I went to was 30 kilometers away from Hungary, from Romania and from Slovakia. So imagine the uh, influences that you get from all of those three countries. You know, the language was different. Like Actually, it was Ukrainian, but I didn't understand a lot. There's, you know, there's a really kind of interesting dialect there. And depending on which village you're in, you know, you'd get words from whichever cultures you're close to Um, those borders kept on shifting and moving you know you could have been born in Poland and then you got married in Romania and then you died in Ukraine or something you know because those (laughs) borders would have just you know and you lived in the same village kind of thing
0: Uh,
1: yeah it's it's really interesting and the food there was just um amazing, something that I, you know, because it's so far away from the south of Ukraine, where I'm, where I'm from, you know, about, I don't know, 900 kilometers or something, or maybe I'm exaggerating, maybe 600 something, but far. And, um, You would get loads of paprika, and, uh, you know, we were there in June, and people would go into the forests and collect bilberries, which were extremely delicious, and they cooked these incredible steamed buns um, called hombovci. Also, this recipe is in summer kitchens. It's basically, you make a yeasted um, milk, kind of enriched dough, and you make the dough almost a little bit wet to work with and you're like oh my god how the hell am I gonna do anything with that when you first knead it together because it's so wet but then it expands because of the amount of yeast that you put in and it and you make these buns basically uh that you fill with your seasonal fruit so at that point we had bilberries so you 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 put bilberries in you you turn it into a bun and then you steam them and they puff up and they have this quality of almost being like a... You know how you, you get the satisfaction of a bao bun
0: mm. when it's so, so light? So yeah.
1: that's it. So you get like almost like a sweet bun filled with these berries and then you toss it in, in a bit of melted butter and then you toss it again in uh, toasted fo- uh, walnuts bashed with a little bit of sugar. And oh, it's just like gosh. the most incredible thing. I, I keep making them <laughs> at home now. Like every Friday, I'm like... Lockdown! Oh my God, I really need to... <laughs> Yeah. Yes. You know what? During lockdown, I was like, you know what? I know sugar is bad and everything, but I'm breastfeeding and I'm craving cake so much. So I've been eating quite a lot of these buns.
0: Well, it <laughs> but, sounds like uh, a nice op- uh, alternative to sourdough that everyone's been making, something a bit different. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're actually really easy to make, but so, so delicious. And, you know, sometimes the you can, you can see the berries kind of almost bursting out and it is just ah. such a delicious dish and um they've got this other dish called bograch um i just posted a thing on instagram recently they cook uh this uh, broth in um in a almost like a cauldron that you put over fire outside okay and you and you have like uh smoked pork belly in there and you've got your beef ribs as well it's quite meaty and then uh pap- you know it's tinged with paprika with hot and um, and smoked paprika and you put whole vegetables in it including like whole onions and for those who know you know that whole onion is actually a prized possession because by the end of cooking it absorbs all of those meat mm. flavors and paprika and everything So it's such an interesting region. But then, to be honest with you, every region of Ukraine is unique and interesting. And as you say, there's so much variety, obviously, in in climate, uh, in in your landscape and surroundings. So, you know, up north and west, you've got all of these forests and mountains. So you'd expect your baletis mushrooms and berries. And you go down south where I'm from, and it's super flat, you know, steppe. Uh, and we ha- we get these tomatoes that are. Um, I'm just holding my hands up uh, yeah. to our listeners. Sure they it's like huge. a I- short, like
0: shoulder width almost.
1: <laughs> like a small, like a small. Imagine like a small pumpkin. Yeah, there. My mom, my mom had one last year. I, I actually weighed it, and it was 700 grams. So all, you wow. know, almost a kilo for one tomato, and Jeez. it's and it tastes incredible as well. That was a
0: special episode of the Olive Podcast. To find out more, head to olivemagazine.com, follow the Cook for Ukraine page and hashtag on Instagram, and visit the Cook for Ukraine page on justgiven.com.